Let's open our Bibles this morning to Ephesians chapter 1, thinking, oh, we didn't uh, finish Philippians. Uh, Yeah, we're going to finish that next week, but because of the theme that we were dealing with at the end of uh, chapter 4 there, and that was contentment and how to find contentment. And we, we, we understand that contentment comes not from our circumstances, but from an, uh, a very real uh, grasp of the providence of God in our lives. And not just a knowledge of it, but it, it, we have to have the knowledge that, he, that we, there is providence, but also a grasp of it within our hearts and within our lives. And our unison reading today from the Westminster Confession is from the section of Providence um, and makes it clear to us, very, very clear, even though it's written in language from uh, the 1640s, it's very clear that God is in control. And we don't put the footnotes in when we have a unison reading like that, but there are probably 40 or 50 scriptural references that support the things that we read out of the Westminster Confession today. Okay, Now, if you have an, an insert in your worship folder, you'll notice one side we have notes which are blank today. They're for your own, uh, as you are challenged by those things that, that you hear, to write them down. But on the other side is this long list of Scripture references um, f- that will deal with things that we touch on today. Because the, the topic we're going to deal with today cannot be um, fully handled in the time that is allotted, but you'll have to do your homework out of that, um, out of those. You'll have to go and look those up yourselves. Now, the, the topic of the providence of God is uh, obviously, I think, providential this week, um, that um, due to the uh, the violence that happened in the church in Texas. Uh, and we, we ask ourselves, well, how is this possible? Uh, I think from that we need to understand God's providence in this world. Uh, now, we're typically all in on the providence of God when the good things are happening. Yeah, God's taking care of us. But when the bad things come, we want to know, Lord, where were you when this guy walked into the church and began to kill all of these people? Now, first, it's important for you to understand that the elders here at Central have contemplated and planned and are continuing to adjust um, for the safety of everyone in this building during the week and on Sunday morning. And you think, well, I never saw any of that planning. What's, what are they doing? Well, you probably won't see the planning unless it is necessary that anybody sees it. But the elders have made those plans, and we continue to adjust. It has been on our radar for some time. And we take it very seriously, uh, the security of those who are within this building. Now, what follows? Now, keep your Bibles open to Ephesians. We're going to be there in just a moment. I want you to understand what follows on the providence of God is going to be challenging. It's going to be complex. It's going to be theologically deep. And you went, oh, I didn't have any coffee this morning. Ran. What are you doing to me? Um, but an issue such as the providence of God is not a soundbite. This is not soundbite theology. Uh, this doesn't sell well on television or on debates because it can't be put forth in little bits. It is deep. It is complex. It is rich. It is taught throughout Scripture. Okay? It's not one thing that we can just go and boom, here's the verse, and that's it, and I'm good with it. Um, 
I can't give you the five ways that we can understand God's hand in tragedy in, in 18 minutes and walk out and you go, this is great, now I feel so good about it. No, this is really not what we are, are about today. Um, it is a complex issue, just as you can see from the number of scriptures that I have given you, there are plenty more that deal and prove the providence of God in this world. And you'll see what we mean by that in just a moment. And I'm going to rely upon the, and walk in the footsteps of the giants who've gone before me, theologically speaking, people like uh, Packer and Lloyd-Jones and Sproul and Burkhoff and Edwards and many, many more. They have wrestled with the providence of God uh, for hundreds of years and have written extensively on it, and uh, especially the issue of the providence of God and the existence of evil in this world. So let me pray before we continue. Heavenly Father, as we dig into your word today and, and look at part, a portion of your character, it is your character because you are, have set forth things in motion and you guide them. You do not abandon us. You do not leave us on your own, but you are involved in every aspect of everything in this world. Help us to see from your word how this is. Help us to take it into our hearts and rejoice in this fact but also to understand that portions of it will still be a mystery to us. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. So there's probably no point at which the Christian doctrine of God comes into uh, conflict with the contemporary worldview as such as providence. Providence means that God has not abandoned the world that he created. He did not set it in motion and then step away from it just to watch it from afar. As we read earlier in the Westminster Confession, uh, rather the Lord works within his creation to manage all things according to the immutable counsel of his own will. Immutable means unchangeable. So once he has set it in motion, his, his actions are unchangeable. His desire for us are, is the same today as it was, I want to say, in the beginning, but he has no beginning. So for all time, they have been the same for us. Now, by contrast, if you look at the world at large, the world might acknowledge that the Lord created the world, may, may or may not, but it typically does not view the Lord as intervening into this world or as guiding it on a regular, daily, minute-by-minute, second-by-second basis. Many think that miracles do not happen, that prayer isn't answered, and that most things happen according to luck or fate or the functioning of some impersonal and unchangeable laws. But we do not believe in luck. We do not believe in fate. We believe in providence. Okay? Uh, you say, well, but I say all the time, well, well, good luck. Or that happened by chance. Chance is nothing. Chance is a word. Chance is not an entity. Luck is nothing. Well, I've seemed to have had good luck on some days, What's the, what's the, the uh, golfer's phrase? I'd rather be lucky than good. Okay? Uh, luck is nothing. Okay? If we are theologically and biblically honest, providence is what there is. Not luck, not chance, not fate, but providence. God's actions in this world according to the immutable counsel of His will. So the 
question may, many have is, uh, well, what about the prominence of evil in this world? Is that compatible with the concept of the God that we find in Scripture, or unfortunately, the God most people want to think about, the God of love? Okay? Well, there's plenty of evidence that he's also a God of justice and a God of wrath, etc., um, how can this God be actively ruling the world? I mean, let's look around us. There are disasters, there are fires, there are earthquakes, there are floods. These are natural things. Jonathan Edwards has an entire sermon on earthquakes. Okay? It's fascinating. Uh, and how he talks about the hand of God's work in earthquakes. Uh, I don't know, maybe it was a big Earthquakes were a big thing in New England at that time. I don't know. Uh, but he has an entire sermon on these acts of God. Should we blame God for these things? Well, isn't it better to imagine that he simply got the world going and, and he can't really do anything about those because it's already gone and, and, and so he's powerless over them? No, that is not the God that we find in Scripture. So let's look at Scripture. Before we get to Ephesians, remember Proverbs. The lot is cast into the lap, but its every decision is from the Lord. A lot. Uh, we draw lots. Remember, they drew lots for... Uh, what's his face? Matthias, right? The, 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 they wanted to replace Judas, so they drew lots. Well, it's, and in the Old Testament, they had what was called Urim and Thummim. And they would reach into the bag and draw this one or that one, and that would determine God's will. Well, it wasn't the chance of which one you drew out. It was God determining which one was coming out of there. Okay? Uh, so it is God's work in all things. Um, we think it's chance, but yet it is God's work. So let's try to define providence a little bit more. I have two definitions for us. Uh, God's work of providence are His most holy, wise, and powerful, preserving and governing all creatures and all their actions. That's from the Westminster Shorter Catechism. Notice the words, all creatures and all their actions. What did that leave out? Nothing. Nothing. Second definition for us, providence is a continued continued exercise whereby the Creator, according to His own will, keeps all creatures in being, involves Himself in all events, and directs all things to their appointed end. This shows us that God is a personal manager in all events, in all lives. Not just in the lives of the church or believers, but in all things, in all Things. His rule over this world is absolute. Now, some have attempted to restrict God's providence in these three ways. And, and maybe you've thought about Him in this fashion, especially the first one. Some people want to give God foreknowledge, but don't give Him control. Foreknowledge, but no control. That means He knows what's going to happen, but He has no ability to affect the change, affect it or change it. Secondly, some people say that God upholds the world without intervening in the world. He sustains it, but He never comes in in a miraculous fashion and does anything. So they have to throw out, of course, all the miracles from the Scripture. Or third, that God is, has providence in His general oversight, but He's not concerned about the details. 
he's up there and he's watching over us. But, you know, those little things like the hairs on your head or the sparrow falling that Scripture says the Lord pays attention to and knows the number, etc., he's not really paying attention to that. He's just looking out for the big things. And every once in a while we'll hear somebody pray, well, no, that's not important enough to bother God with. My goodness. He formed us in our mother's womb when we were, the first when the, when the two cells came together, he was at work forming and shaping us that entire time. He knows the hairs on our head. He knows the thoughts before they're on our lips. Is there anything that is too insignificant in our lives for the Lord to be concerned about? The answer is no. The answer is no. And the passages in your notes will help you with that as well. So God's involvement in the world, the world processes, the acts of mankind, require us to understand that you and I take action. You and I take individual action. There may be an event that is triggered by natural causes, earthquakes, hurricanes, things, or Satan is allowed to show his hand in the world. Yet, okay, this is the yet part. God rules over all those things. The actions that you and I are free to take, yet God rules over all those things. Randy, that sounds like those are mutually exclusive. It sounds that way. And theologically, we call that a mystery, but yet that is the reality that God lays down for us in Scripture. You are making your choices. They are fulfilling the will of God. Remember the book of Esther. God's name does not show in the book of Esther, yet his providence is overarching and clearly laid out for us in that book. Remember, things are done in this world that contravene God's will of command, yet they fulfill his will of events. Let's turn to Ephesians chapter 1. How many of us have disobeyed God's will? but yet saw him work through that. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 11. Now, really, verse, um, you know, the, the whole section is, is the whole, whole first chapter, especially 3 through 14, but verse 11, and we'll pick up in just the end of 10. In him also we have obtained an inheritance, having predestined according to his purpose, who works all things after the counsel of his will. How many things? All things. What did you do this morning? Well, I got out of bed, I walked the dog, I had breakfast, I had my coffee. Did those things work towards the counsel of His will? Yes. Why? Because all things work to the counsel, towards the counsel of His will. Nothing that you did this morning is outside of God's providence. Oh. Well, am I just a robot? No. You are free to make those decisions, yet he works through those according to his perfect will. Remember that humans mean what they do for evil, yet God works them for the good. We'll see Joseph again and again, Genesis chapter 50. What men meant for evil, I meant for good. That's what the Lord does. Remember, under God's sovereign rule, men will sin, yet God is not the author of sin. God is not the author of sin. James chapter 1, God tempts no man, but each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by what? His own desires. His own desires. God is the judge of sin. 
not the author of sin. Remember that God is involved concurrently, that is alongside of, or confluently, as the blending of actions together for His will in all that occurs in this world. Everything that occurs in this world, God is involved with, yet without violating the nature of things, the ongoing fundamental processes, or human free will. Okay, Rand, well, you've, you've got me confused again. Because you said that God is involved in all things, and He shapes and moves all things, but He never violates my will. Isn't that different? Aren't those two different things? What's the theological term? It's a mystery. Okay? But it's the reality that is laid out for us in Scripture. This is the way God is, and this is the way that He works, and that's how He is presented. His will of events come to pass exactly as He wants. You think some days that chaos rules. Look at maybe your own life, or maybe look at the larger world, and you say, Lord, where are you? Because I don't think you're over there. Because that looks like chaos, and how could that possibly be serving your purposes? And yet it does. Now, there's no guarantee that he will explain his purposes to us, although we will find a definition of them in just a moment. Well, what about evil? In your notes, there's a little section about evil. Certainly, God permits evil. He punishes evil with evil. He brings good out of evil. He uses evil to test and discipline those whom he loves. One day, he will redeem his people from the power and presence of evil altogether. So, I told you this was complex and, and not easy. I mean, this is, your head may hurt today. Um, so let's look at three aspects of God's providence. Preservation. Preservation. It's the continuous work of God where He maintains everything that He had created together with the properties and powers which He endowed them with. What? He maintains everything. And if he, at one moment, withdrew his hand of sustaining power in your life, you would cease to be. Of this, the, the, this, if he withdrew his sustaining hand of, uh, of, of authority and power in the life of a non-believer, that non-believer would cease to be. It is God who sustains all things because he has started all things. He sustains them. He keeps working. If God decided to withdraw his sustaining hand from the entire creation, only the Holy Trinity would be left. He sustains all things. That is his preservation. Next, it's God's providence in his governmental authority. It's the continued act of God, where he brings to a definite end all things, and that definite end is what he desires. Okay? It's, we can't go, God couldn't possibly have desired that. Look at the tragedy there. He brings all things to his desired end. Okay, God, that's a terrible end in my view. Explain that to us. He may not. We may be stuck, in, so to speak, with the fact that this happened, and if I believe in God's providence, how could that tragedy in Texas take place? How could those people who came to worship God be killed in that fashion? I, I don't attempt to explain it. I simply accept it because Scripture says it. I don't 
attempt to, to say, well, but, but we can rejoice in what God has done there. I, 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 I don't know how to rejoice in that. But yet it is God's hand of providence that shapes all things. The third aspect is concurrence. I mentioned concurrence a little bit before. It means the cooperation of God and His divine power with all the subordinate powers, causing them to act precisely as they do. Precisely as they do. Now, we read in the Westminster Confession, this is called second causes. Second causes. God works through first causes, which is Him. He is the first cause. In fact, in your uh, worship folder, in under number two, although in relation to the foreknowledge and decree of God, the first cause, you'll notice cause is capitalized there, that is referring to God as the first cause, all things come to pass immutably and infallibly, yet by the same providence He orders them to fall out according to the nature of second causes. Second causes. Well, what is a second cause? And how do we define this? Well, Scripture clearly states that there are second causes, and these second causes are not independent. They do not happen automatically. Second causes might be as necessary as the laws of physics. Those are second causes in the world. A second cause might also be the fact that you chose a hamburger and not a cheeseburger today. And there is some significance in that as to the next event. Okay? Or let's say um, somebody slipped a, a, a piece of cheese into your hamburger and you're dairy intolerant or whatever, and you have a reaction. Uh, what was the reaction? Did God cause you to have that reaction? No. The second cause was the piece of cheese that was there. So you see that there are direct causes by the Lord where He intervenes, and then there are secondary causes which He uses to fulfill His will in the world. Even chance and probability, as we would call them, are servants of God's will, which He uses. Now this is important because so many people today speak about powers of nature that, that are, seem to be independent of God's control. There's a hurricane out there, there was a low pressure system, uh, it came over the, the, the ocean, it gathered up water, it gathered up power, it came and destroyed portions of Florida, destroyed portions of Houston. That was just a natural event. Was it a natural event? Or was it an event that God was using for some purpose that might simply be beyond our capability to understand at the moment? How can both of these things be true? That there are events in nature, there are our own choices and our own will, yet there is the providence of God who works in all of these things to accomplish what it is that He wants. Amos chapter 3 says, Shall a trumpet be blown in the city, and the people not be afraid? Shall there be evil in a city, and the Lord has not done it? Amos is saying, hey, this is the Lord's work. Matthew chapter 5, For he makes the sun to rise on the evil and on the good, and to send the rain on the just and the unjust. In other words, these things do not happen automatically, as a result of secondary causes or the laws of nature, but the Lord uses them to achieve His ends. You've got a long list in your, script, in your Scripture portion about 
the way and the areas that God uses in, in, in His providence. They cover things such as the physical world, animals, the affairs of nations, um, governs a man's birth and death. He is counted the days, the successes and failures of human life. Um, God, this is one thing in particular, God governs things that appear to be accidental, that appear to be accidental. And the reference is in Esther chapter 6, where the king could not sleep that night. He just couldn't sleep. Well, do you ever have those nights? It says in Esther that it was the Lord that kept him up. It was the Lord that made him not able to sleep. Because the, and, and in that way, Mordecai was saved and Esther and her people were saved through the work of God in insomnia. So the next time you have insomnia, ask the Lord, what it is, what do you want me to, what am I supposed to be doing now while I'm up in the middle of the night? Okay? God protects the righteous. Uh, God protects and supplies the need of his people. He answers every prayer. Those things are all laid out for you in your notes. That brings us to the extraordinary providence, which we would call miracles. You seen a miracle? Uh, yeah. And, and I'm not talking about, you know, well, how does uh, the New Testament define a miracle? Well, you got the guy with the withered hand, the next moment it's healed. Um, maybe the miracle is your life. You who were a sinner were saved. That's miraculous. It's the intervening of the Lord in this world. Sometimes he intervenes directly like that. He calls you by name and draws you unto himself. Other times, um, you know, there, you've got, uh, he uses second causes maybe in the miraculous. And you think, well, or, or tied to the miraculous. You, you go to the doctor. You've got terminal cancer this week. You pray for healing. You go to the doctor next week, and he says, I can't find the cancer. I, I don't know. It's the same scan, same area. There's no cancer. I can't explain it. And you go, let me explain it for you. This is what I prayed for. This is what the Lord did. The Lord may intervene in a miraculous fashion. It says, gather the elders, lay, lay on hands, use the oil, pray for healing, and believe. But the Lord may also use the second cause. The second cause would be what? Chemotherapy, surgery, radiation. He may use those to heal as well. Well, here's the sticking point for many people in this issue of God's providence. What is God's providence? How does that relate to sin? How does that relate to sin? Well, the first is that sinful acts are under God's divine control. They occur by His permission and according with His ultimate purpose. That does not mean that God is the author of sin. Who is responsible for your sin or my sin? Me. It's not God who's responsible for our sin. It's the lust of my heart. It's, it's, the, it's the mind. It's my own desires. I am responsible for my sin. Yet God uses that. Two examples of that. Um, Joseph, as we've mentioned before, what men meant for evil, God meant for good. Also in Acts chapter 2, Peter, on the day of Pentecost, is teaching that you meant to kill Jesus out of your own hatred and your own desires, but the Lord meant it for salvation. 
Okay? You thought you were doing something evil. The Lord said, no, I'm using that to save my children. Secondly, God will often restrain and control sin and then rain his wrath upon it. I just referenced to you Psalm 76. And also, number three, God overrules sin for good. The life of Joseph. The life of Joseph. And it goes on and on and on like that. God never causes sin. He never approves of sin, even though he may use sin for his purposes. He permits it. He directs it. He restrains it. He limits it. He rules over all things, but we are responsible for our sin. James chapter 1. Another example of how God may use an individual's sinfulness for his purposes, the life of Jonah. We don't don't have to go and study the life of Jonah. We know. God said, go do this. Jonah said, sure. And he went that way. And God used him to bring an entire city to repentance. There are so many clear statements in Scripture that we have to go to this one, Romans chapter 8. Let's turn there. Romans chapter 8. What is the ultimate purpose of God's providence in this world? This is not a verse that you can throw out lightly, but takes a lot of support and understanding behind it so that we can define these things. Romans 8, 28. The purpose of God's providence. We know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to His purpose. Now, He works to cause, to cause all things. That doesn't leave anything out. To work together for good. Who defines that good? The Lord. I am not the one that defines what good should come into my life. It is God who defines what is good for Randy because he has placed his love within my life, so I love him, and I'm called according to what? To Randy's purposes? To Randy's end? To what Randy wants to do? No. According to his purpose. You can't have God's providence and sovereignty in your life and say, but I'm the one in control and I'm the one that makes the definitions of what Randy wants in Randy's life. It is what God wants in our lives. That does not mean we are simply puppets on a string. We make free choices. We make our decisions. Yet they fulfill what the Lord has for us. The Lord will use even the evil things that happen in our lives to work out the good that he has for us. But there is no no obligation for him to explain those things to us any further than what he has done already in Scripture. There's no problem, and, and, and understand, there's no problem with you at home after a tragedy or after something has happened, crying out to the Lord and saying, Lord, why has this happened? Those people in Texas who, who survived are there going, why has this happened? How could you let this happen? It, it's okay to cry out to the Lord. But where do you need to look for answers? To the Lord. Don't look to the world around you for answers, what can only be found here in Scripture and what the Lord will give to us. 
this, as I said, this is not an easy thing to understand. It is, it is not simple. And we have, I've, I've turned the faucet on and given it to you full blast. But it is how we live as believers that God has a providential control over all things, over all people. He does not leave anything to chance. He has his rule and desire to be worked out in everything, in everything and in all aspects of life. Let's go to the Lord now who rolls all things in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, even as we read the words from Scripture, that you cause all things to come into being, that you sustain all things, that you work all things for our good to those who love you, who are called to your purposes, they are still hard to grasp. There are still many unanswered questions in our lives, and and we might embrace providence and live it, and understand it as this reality, but that still will leave questions unanswered in our lives. Heavenly Father, you don't guarantee us all the answers. You guarantee that you will be with us. You guarantee that you will sustain us in our doubts, in our troubles, in our confusion. You don't leave us on our own. And sometimes, Lord, it feels like we are. Sometimes it feels like we're, we're wandering aimlessly and, and, and we don't think you're in control. But yet when we read your word, there we find the truth. Yes, you are. You're at work in every circumstance in our lives, in every circumstance and event in this world. You rule over all things. Heavenly Father, help us to take great comfort in this and help us to rest in the fact that we might not understand it all. We might not understand all the events that are going around, on around us, but we do accept and live in and rest in your providential control in this world. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.